I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Thank you once again for joining me. I am joined today by a very unusual kind of friend because we have never met in person before. I'll tell you a bit about my guest in a minute, Holly Tucker. Holly hosted me on a podcast called Conversations of Inspiration, her podcast, and I connected so deeply. I have no idea what was happening, but I felt I was talking to an an absolute friend from the minute we started talking and shared things, you know, so openly as if there was no recording happening. And that thing, for some reason, got so many people uh, inspired. So I kept getting lots of very positive, very, very, very positive messages on social media. But every single one of those messages was always either starting or ending with how much people loved Holly. So they were sort of saying, oh my God, I love Holly so much. And now you're speaking there. It's amazing. This is like a, a very good thing. In any case, what ended up happening is that I started to stalk her, as I always do. I started to learn more and more about Holly Tucker. And it turned out that, uh, no, she's not a podcaster. Holly was one of the very early, incredibly successful female entrepreneurs at the time where Amazon was just a a bookstore, basically, and eBay was starting, was trying to create something to start with. She came up with this idea to create something called Not on the High Street. As a woman entrepreneur at the time in a tech venture, uh, very much as a as a feminine woman entrepreneur, sometimes emotional in her approach to things, very visionary, very creative. VCs sort of dismissed the idea. It's like, yeah, who needs a a crafts uh, place online, she said in one interview. And she became so successful, her company grew to be hundreds of millions of dollars worth. Very visionary, creating technology that actually didn't exist at the time at all. And uh, none of that really matters as much as the story of how she did it and why she did it and what else she did with her life that really intrigued me. And so, uh, as you can imagine, Holly now has another company, Holly & Co. We may talk about that a little bit, but also she's been named an MBE in uh, the UK for her achievements. And I found, which as you can imagine, will be a little more the topic of our conversation on Slow Mo today, that there is a very interesting part of each of us in Holly's story. So I hope to be able to bring that beautiful story of struggle and success and love and uh, inspiration and drive to you today uh, with my uh, wonderful friend that I never met, Holly Tucker. So Holly, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. Thank you for the interesting connection. I 
have to say I felt so deeply connected since we spoke and we kept texting. I felt we did something wonderful together. I totally agree. I mean, I actually can't believe I'm sitting here with you because since the moment I met you, um, Mo has been, you've been in my heart literally since the moment we connected. Yeah, I and, feel the same, yeah. And um, I always think, what would Mo do? That's what I say. <laughs> okay. What would Mo do? <laughs> Responsibility. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and it, it always makes me think deeper and think slower. And anyway, the entire small business community in the UK, you are now a pin-up for everybody. Oh. So we're... Um, yeah, we're very, very grateful for your wisdom uh, that you brought us that day. And I, I feel exactly the same. I, I can't believe I'm sitting here. Yeah, it's overdue, though. Yeah, we absolutely. Sh- we should have done that earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. I, was, I was just sharing with you how crazy my last couple of trips to the UK were. I mean, one, one of them was on the book tour and it was horrendously grueling, which I didn't expect at all. I, I really didn't expect that kind of reception for that little voice in your head. Believe it or not, I actually did not want to publish it. And my publisher kept saying, it's really good. Like people would like it. And I was like, nah, too technical. It's not right. And it really, really got a very, very big reception. And then, then the other trip, I disappeared in the middle of wilderness. So, uh, so. Which has uh, been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, uh, 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 most of my listeners will know 42 days in the middle of nowhere, then extended to 50 And I absolutely loved it. But now there you are. And now you've reassured me that what I thought you were is you. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Good. Thank goodness for that. (laughs) but, uh, but, But I have to start by asking you, you are not like the rest of us, at least not your childhood. You were a workaholic when you were seven. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was. What was that? I don't quite know what that was. I think it was a hunger for life. If I look back, I, th- I think that that's, it's something I've really reconnected with in my 40s, which is a sense of gratitude that I even exist. Mm-hmm. And I think I felt that. Now I look back, I think I felt that when I was younger um, because... I was nicknamed Holly Hurricane. Yes, I know. I wasn't going to bring that up unless I, I, you did. I, and, and my mum hates me saying that because I think it can um, sound as if I was, you know, all over the place and things. I, I think it was a zest for life. Mm. And so I was always ready for the next thing. I was excited about the next chapter life was going to give me, which always meant that I was dreaming about the future and the next step. So be it a a 10-year-old desperate to go to work, um, desperate to earn money, um, a 14-year-old looking for a job out of the home. And my poor father would uh, end up driving me. I I ended up cleaning pubs when I was about 13, 14. Oh, Um, man. And no, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. come on. I did. I loved it because I would put my, I I just loved it. Um, Dad would drive 
me. And I mean, I, he's such a better parent than I am because I'm sure this is about six o'clock in the morning and he'd sit in his car in the pub car park. And I would then go in and I would clean the pub and things. And I would sometimes find some extra coins for hidden places and I would stash those away. And I absolutely loved it. And I, I would, I had a real sense of um, pride that I was earning money yeah. And um, dad would drive me home and then we would have breakfast and things. And so that has just always been the way I got, you know, the first mobile phone that I got, I was incredibly happy with and felt like I was now a woman in business, even though I didn't have a business and it yeah. was a big brick, you know, the Mercury one-to-one, -one, you know, these huge phones. How did you get one of those? Oh, yes. I got, I still got the same number, which I'm just, uh, you no know. No way. Yes, still have the same number. And so it was a zest, I think, for what was next to come. I always felt that life was quite enchanting. And so I was ready for the ride. And, um, and I think that that has been, I think I lost myself probably, which maybe lots of people do during your twenties and thirties and work and things like that. And everything became quite heavy. Um, but I'm so happy to have rediscovered it. And I, I don't think I'll, I'll lose it again. Twenties, a lot of people lose themselves, but they lose themselves to the party, to the drugs, to the drinking, to the exploration. You were working your backside off like yes i mean i did party mo very hard as, <laughs> okay, as well don't, good, to know. Don't, good to know don't, don't get me wrong there's there'll be some close friends that will be like do you actually know holly but you know because in those years um you would party high you know you, i was young i i celebrated my 18th birthday in an advertising office i loved my job i was a young account manager on baker street in london and i felt fantastic mm. and it's i loved my independence I would hate to have my son to treat me the way that I treated my parents which was literally just to pack up my bags and go and go and get a flat and and become this independent holly but that was really important to me because I think I had been desperate for that moment for many many years prior and it was it was a It was an amazing experience. You know, I was in London. I was working incredibly hard. As the junior, you get all the junior jobs. So I was working advertising. So I would get the staying up until midnight, putting the posters on the laminate boards ready for the pitch. But then I would be put up in a hotel to get there at five in the morning to set everything up. And I was always the one picking up the check for everybody's drink, even though I wasn't earning much. But, you know, that was, I was coming out of the 80s. You know, I was, I was this young executive and it was unbelievable. And I went into um, the first dot-com bubble and I was in publishing in magazines. So I definitely, when I look back, can't actually believe, I think we all have this, don't we? I can't actually believe that's me. Um, it's the chapters of your book, isn't it? That you it's... just think, wow, was that who I was? But I definitely think I loved life, but maybe not in the way with gratitude in my heart at those, in those points in time. So, so talk, talk about that incredible father, honestly. I mean, yeah. what, he's, he's, what a... Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I have two parents who have always sort of ridden with my roller coaster, um, sometimes to their detriment. Certainly I was 
a girl in a hurry. I got married very young. I got divorced very young. Yeah, and expectedly. Expectedly, <laughs> yeah. um, exactly. How, how young were you? I was 21. And married at 21. Yeah, 21. But you see, my parents were married at 21 and 19. Mm. So I had this romantic mm. viewpoint. And, and I, I, I really love loving someone. And so this was what I wanted. And sometimes you can make what you want happen. And, and that's maybe my entrepreneurial spirit coming out, you know, if I see something. Um, and so they rode with all of these roller coasters, absolutely probably knowing that I was too young to get married or knowing that, you know, to go and start work at that young age would mean some consequences throughout my life. Or So they're both very, very supportive and, and it's allowed me to be who I am. And they're my still today. They've just moved nearer me to live. They're still together. And they're still together. Yeah. 50 years married. And a great example of partnership, the ups and downs of partnership. And I think that that's always been an incredible lesson for me when going into work relationships or relationships in general, the companionship and the the rolling with this roller coaster, the ups and downs of relationships. And so they've been, yeah, great examples. Would you mind, I mean, as much as you're, you feel comfortable telling me what the secret is? Because I, I, I'm working on a book called Finding Love and the statistics don't look promising at all. Mm. You know, the, those 50-year marriages, I think, are going to be dinosaurs, really. In a very interesting way, I did a very quick math calculation of how many relationships, not marriages. So not, not all dates, not all seeing someone, not all boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, you know, boyfriend, boyfriend, or girlfriend, mm -hmm. girlfriend, you know, not all relationships end up in marriage and still no. half of relationships uh, of marriages end up in, in, in divorce. But if you do the math of all relationships, it's around 98.6% of all get togethers break up, right? That's quite shocking. I mean, I can explain the math later. Yeah. But then there are those few beautiful stories that still are inspirational. So what did they do? What did you think was their secret? I think their secret, and I actually think all of the relationships that I have held deep for many, many years, mum used to always say, it's all about pluses and minuses, Holly. Just make sure you have more pluses in your relationship than minuses, mm. which actually led to the notion that no relationship is just pluses. So, yeah. but you can get to that viewpoint, right? You get to that point potentially of, um, and especially in today's society and everything that we're viewing and all consumption of everything is that we can strive for better continuously. Mm. So there is always a choice mm. and there's always better. They can be taller. They can be <laughs> funnier. They can, you, do you know what I mean? We have choice continuously in our lives. In those days, you didn't have that choice. That's probably true. Right? Yeah. You actually had to work through your issues. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. You had, you know, you didn't, you couldn't just get a divorce. Mm. You just come through war. You know, parents have just come through wars. Mm. So I think that the commitment to a relationship was real. And I think potentially, certainly nowadays, and I, I'm looking at future generations, why would you go through the minuses? Because... Quite frankly, your minuses, I, I'll take it and leave it. I'll go and find some better pluses because you're on a continuous quest for better. And I think that there is the word settle 
is a bad word potentially, never settle, never settle. I actually think settle because once you do find somebody who sees you for who you are, pluses and minuses, and you see them, and there is a bond and an understanding that this isn't going to be easy, but I'm will- I want to take the ride with you, mm. then actually I'll settle because I would rather that mm. than a continuous world of search and euphoria and then disappointment and 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 all of those things that come with finding love so my parents i think definitely have shown me their ups and downs i've taken it into my own relationship with i'm married now very happily after 18 years being together we got married in lockdown um, my son who's turning 18 was best man to actually for myself and Frank, we we too have that understanding that we're on a journey together. We happen to be now married, but actually it's the it's rolling with the minuses to look forward to the pluses. And and actually settling has been the best thing that we've both ever done because now we can have partnership and company through our lives. And I think that that's something I really, really hope for future generations to do. I worry that there is just, there is just too much. And I think it's not going to be great for love. I think I'm going to quote you uh, word for word, actually, in in this. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting because I don't use the word settling as much as I love the words of there is more pluses than minuses. I think the the main assumption is that nobody's perfect, right? Yes. And that you're never going to end up finding someone that has all of the pluses and none of the minuses that you mm-hmm. seek. I mean, statistically, that person could exist. But if I do the mathematics, it might take you 200 million attempts to find yes. them, right? And so so if you're very lucky, you could get the answer with the first roll of dice and you get that person, but not everyone is that lucky. And so maybe if you get someone that's 80% of the way there and the minuses are not that annoying, uh, you might as well enjoy that. And now the, the other side of it, when, you know, in my 28 years with Nibel, my now ex, uh, which I consider a massive success, Uh, It was that, it was that the partnership became higher in its position than than, uh, romance, Mm -hmm. uh, if you want, right? Yeah. Uh, Where basically we had that joint project together that was called Ali and Aya, and to Ali and Aya's happiness meant a lot more than, uh, you know, how messy I was, for example, which upset her or how emotional she sometimes became, which, you know, was a little alien to my very highly organized mind at the time. And when you when you look at it, those things become smaller and the other things become bigger. You know, the those little crumbly two creatures became bigger for us as a project. And I think that got us to to, to stick together. Can I ask why marry Frank? I mean, if it's 18 years together, what is dif- what's the difference with marriage? I think that... Is he a nice guy? Yeah, he's a really nice guy. I, w- I just wanted you to hear this, Frank. Yeah, yeah. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> I've actually known him since I was 19, but that's a long story. But um, and he came to my first wedding. Mm. Um, so he's known me all of my life and actually the and I love your word the partnership and when I said settling I think that 
you know, if you go to a Pinterest quote, never settle petal is like ringing in my mind. And I, I mean, settling from a very peaceful point yes, of view. It's a, it's a very um, accepting. You are absolutely content mm. with being exactly who you are. And you know that the other person sees you fully. And so I think that's actually one of the most beautiful things. We decided to get married because I think we both needed to get married. We'd spent 18 years together through turbulent times. He was in a high stressful career and I was building not in the high street. And we had a son who was three months old when I started not in the high street. And for anyone who's ever tried that back in the day as well, right back in the day, which is this is not today. There wasn't access to funding. You couldn't be a, whether you like the word or not, mumpreneur. You know, the fact that you had a child as a woman entrepreneur CEO was, was not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so actually you had to hide everything, hide all emotion. And so actually it was an incredibly difficult period of our lives, even though it was the most beautiful bringing up our son, it was fraught with when the roller coaster was dipping, it was dipping low, very low, whether we would make it or not. And when it was high, it was fantastic, but it was endurance, you know, it was endurance through this period of time. But actually every single time we would hit lows, we knew that the sun was going to rise again for our relationship. We just knew. And so when we decided to get married in lockdown and he asked me, it was at a point in time where all the waters had calmed in our life and it took 18 years to get there, my goodness. But we knew that that was what we both needed now. We needed to now celebrate. And uh, we said it to each other in our speeches on our wedding day, that actually this is the best time to get married because guess what? I know everything about you. You know everything about (laughs) me. We have gone through the ringer together and we still want to get married, which might mean that we're more in love than ever. And so this moment in time where we had 15 people, it was in that lockdown stage where you could just get married. We had 15 people and that was it. That was all we were allowed. And it was the most intensely beautiful day of my life. My son spoke so eloquently and we all just shared this bubble for that day, which was we managed to get here. We managed to get um, to a place where the adventure was just going to begin for the rest of our lives. And, um, And it was just amazing. But I think that's it, you know, in all my relationships, I think that that's that understanding. If you can get to that point where it be a business relationship or a friendship, where you're ready to endure a long period of time with someone so you get to the core of who you are. And if you can manage, luckily, to get to those places with a few people, I don't believe you can get to that with many people. Mm. I do think that you can only have true friends on one hand. And I, I always talk to people who seem to collect a lot of people, you know, but who are your five? Who are your five that you can rely on yeah. that forever? Yeah. And so I'm, I, I feel very blessed that I've managed at 45 to find those people, I hope, forever. Mm. I think that's the most beautiful thing. That circle of trust, if you want, circle of support is really 
probably one of the highest, the biggest reasons for happiness in the world. It's, uh, you know, statistically proven actually that those who live longer, who have happier lives, just have people that they can really, really connect mm. to, you know, much lower stress levels, even if life is stressful, but you just know that you can call and, and they will be there for Absolutely. you. I think it makes Absolutely. a huge difference. I want to talk about that experience of being a woman and, you know, in a very interesting way as I got to know more and more about you I think this is what really really elevated you more and more and more in my perception we don't live in a fair world and I'll say that openly I've been a very senior executive in very very large companies and despite of all the um the noise that is being made about, yes, we're now trying to empower women now. Yes, we're trying to, you know, uh, allow women to to be entrepreneurs and leaders and CEOs and, and so on. It's not true. It's not mm. really how it should be. And there are very few countries in the world, in Scandinavia maybe, uh, that, you know, basically started to really be fair, where, where you don't actually feel the difference. But in the rest of the world, the UK included, even today, I tend to believe that a woman entrepreneur will have uh, many more obstacles on the path than uh, a man entrepreneur. A woman CEO will have to be a man in a way, sadly, to succeed. What was your experience and how did you overcome that? So I would definitely, I would just definitely agree the I suppose I was brought up, you know, I was 28 years old when I started Not in the High Street. And very early on, we required investors because, you know, my bank manager didn't know what an entrepreneur was, let alone a marketplace. Do you know what I mean? So the, we're talking a completely different landscape. As you said, you know, at the time, Amazon sold books and eBay sold, uh, you know, you would get some socks from your grandmother I remember and that. you would yeah. just put it on your bed and you yeah. would just say nan socks and yeah. you would try and get a pound for it or whatever it was it was really a different day and so I walk naively beautifully naively walked into this quest to building a marketplace and I I, I was I, I didn't quite realize that being a woman meant anything or be, I hadn't looked at gender before, I suppose. I hadn't, you know, I'd been in, I was younger and I'd been in all these different jobs, but I'd never really come to, I worked in magazines and a wedding.com company um, and advertise. It was quite female, actually. So I, I hadn't even, it hadn't even occurred to me that what a woman entrepreneur was quite unique until <laughs> you go out into the big wide world. And, um, and that, and actually, up until that point, when we were building it, I would try and bring on small businesses onto the platform, onto Not in the High Street. Now, bear in mind, nobody had ever sold on a marketplace before. They didn't even understand if they could sell on the internet. So we're talking about the days where they would ask if they needed a computer and printer to join notinthehighstreet.com. We always say .com even then because they didn't even understand what the, the site was. But we brought up the idea in a lot of female uh, energy. So all the small businesses that we were bringing on were female. Mm. They happened to be. So it was very successful in my mind and in, in what we were going to do. The consumer was female. So I'm thinking, this is good. This is great. Yeah. Brilliant. Until you went out into the outside world, until you did business, I suppose. And business then became 
a very negative space um, for us as founders, myself and Sophie, I had a co-founder, Sophie, and, you know, we would go out into the big wide world and we would uh, take our bags. And at the time, you know, we had created personalized products. You know, this was something that, you know, you would get a t-shirt with someone's face on it from up the high street where you put your photographs in. Mm. We were creating another whole realm of personalization where women could connect to the gifts that they were giving to the recipient. And that matters a lot for women. Yeah. So we would go to VC's tables with our bags and we would take out this T-shirt, which was a Stegosaurus T-shirt, but it was called Harriosaurus with this. I'm very grateful for that T-shirt. It built not on the high street. But we were trying to explain these things to male VCs. And we were... Practically, if I now look back at, laughed out of the room, patronized, if they could tap me on the head, they would have tapped me on the head. It was all about craft, two blonde women building a lifestyle business, craft business. We were told how their wives only did the shopping, so they wouldn't know. Did we really want to make a business out of this? Or this is a bedroom, you know, it's one for your home and just to work out for your bedroom. And no one was quite understanding And I suppose, you know, the story goes on because I stepped out of that business 17 years on. But that that story, we did manage to get the funding and we did manage to get the loans and we did manage to do all of these things, potentially because we were like unicorns in our own way, because there were no other female founders out there. Potentially, this was a good tick box exercise, even though it's a fantastic company. I do look back and think, did they have a quota? Did they need Did they to... need a, a female entrepreneur? Yeah, because there weren't any. Mm. Uh, on our board, we had one of the first female VCs in Europe. Mm. I mean, this is insane if you think about it. Actually, what I did need was only women sitting around a board table, but all I had was only men sitting around a board table. And so when bringing myself up as a business leader, I was learning the ropes. You know, I don't have a degree. I do not have... I am a dyslexic. I'm a woman. I was a mother. I was insecure, you know, to, I was brought up through this, this world. And so I, it's only now that I look back and I think about how it was incredibly difficult to be a woman in a man's world in business, to be labeled a tech entrepreneur. I didn't want to be labeled that, but that's what people needed to label me as. Um, I found myself in the the sort of dragon, there's a program in the UK, Dragon's Den, you know, I found myself in the same blazer and skirt and dress and the high heels and really restrictive underwear so that I could pull myself in. I would have my PA run after me, you know, I would go for a ladies break in between my meetings and she would run after me and she would brief me in the loo. And I would think, this is what it's about, right? I was turning into a she-man, right? I was turning into what was required, what I perceived to be required as a leader of a business such as Not in the High Street, mm. because there was no space for the creative, soulful Holly. Maybe I didn't even know. I, I, I know that she was there, but I didn't have any space to allow her to exist. Let me interrupt this podcast for a minute to tell you about my latest initiative, unstressable.com. 
Unstressable is a members community based on my book with my co-author Alice Law, which will come out in 2023. Members of Unstressable get a library of training materials, daily tools to manage their stress, a free monthly webinar where you can ask your questions, guest expert talks about relevant topics, and the best of all, a members community where you can talk to other like-minded people to learn tips and tricks about how to manage your stress better. Being one of my beloved listeners on Slow-Mo, the first 50 that will sign up for Unstressable.com this week will get a two-month free membership. Use the code SLOWISGOOD when you sign up to get your free gift. Remember, this gift is only for the first 50 who sign up. So do it fast. Go to unstressable.com, join our community, and learn how to lead a stress-free life. I cannot wait to see you there, because living stressed is not living. But you see, I've, I find this very, very, very unfair because every entrepreneur has to pay for the success of their business with their effort and thoughts and tension and, and stress and so on. We, that's known. But for a woman entrepreneur, she also has to pay for it with her identity. You also have to give up on who you are as a woman. I mean, not, I mean, the idea of a woman being one category is not true at all, but you know, statistical correlation will say that you will tend to be more creative. You'll tend to be more playful and fun. You'll tend to be more empathetic. You're, you know, you will be in a business that actually needs that, you know, which is to curate the beautiful uh, things that other women will want to buy. And, you know, there is a, a massive amount of talent there massive amount of qualities, as I call them, and attributes of the feminine. But then because the money and the business decisions and the board members even today are, you know, concentrated mostly in the hands of men that have made their money by being hyper-masculine, it's just so unfair. It's, you know, yeah. and, and what is the answer? I mean, this is not the case with Holy and Co now. Well, that's where I'm thinking the answer is and why I built it. You know, I look back to times where even negotiating what our wages should be as the entrepreneurs and the CEO and the founders, negotiating our wages, the childcare costs that we had to in exactly. endure and our husbands had to uh, or our partners weren't frank, left his job after five years and brought up Harry. We were one income, still are today, one income family. And actually the times that I had to bring Harry into the office and there would be a meeting and I would sneak him under the table and he would sit there with his DVD player and his Watsits and his Ribena. And it was like, please, you know, you can't, you know, bless him. Obviously with my female staff and we were wonderful, but when it was serious, you know, please, we can't see you, can't hear you. I can't talk about having childcare issues. I can't, and it, you, you think about that. You think about every day, seven days a week we were working. You think about what we were giving. And as you said, very slowly, but surely I gave away my identity. I gave away my heart, my soul, I became colder as a person. I definitely did. I became harder. 
I would turn to, you know, my Friday evenings to be the only thing that I would look forward to. I would just exist. And actually now when I got to the stage where it was the transition between myself leaving Not in the High Street, which is obviously a a story because not many people talk about the breakup when they have with their... I will, I will. (laughs) Because it's hell on earth. It really is. It's it's like literally being told told to leave your child. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Grief um, and uh, bereavement and also leaving a child. Exactly. These are some of the things that came through. But with Holly & Co, which I plan to, I look at Iris Apfel as a, a pin-up for myself. And I say to myself, you know, if I can work until I'm 90 doing what I'm doing today, Mo, where I look at building business, doing what you love for myself, but for others, where I'm actually asking people to be the fullest version of who they are. If they're wearing tight underwear to do so, you know, get it off, to wear the glitter trainers, to express themselves creatively to the fullest extent. And that is who I am today. I am your champion. I am your cheerleader because I know what it feels like not to be that person. And I feel like I'm going to build better businesses now that I'm fully Holly. Then maybe my journey of discovering, you have to go through it, don't you? I was unexperienced um, with Not in the High Street. It was my first business baby. And maybe I think I don't have another child, but maybe Mm. parents think they're going to do a better job with their second child. Yeah, no, you 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 really don't care about them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, know, the first child catches a cold and you're like dying, like what's going on. The second child, you know, drops from a trampoline and you go like, get up, get up. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay. But but can 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 I just say this? And I know it's may sound controversial, but I, I have to say that our world with, you know, the successful, finally successful movement of our queer community, the LGBTQ and so on, for, for people to acknowledge the fact that everyone has the right to be who they are. I think we have not scratched the surface actually on empowering women to be who they are at work. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've scratched the surface on other components of equity in our world. Like, you know, me being a Middle Eastern I have to admit to you for many, many years in my life, I would bring the similarities to my work. The fact that I'm a father, like my fellow American uh, senior executives Mm -hmm. at Google, the fact that I'm a mathematician, like my fellow heads of engineering. And, you know, the idea that I didn't really never wanted to bring up the differences. Hey, I'm a Middle Eastern. I could be a terrorist. You know, what am I doing in the boardroom? And I think our world needs to start thinking differently. Like, what is wrong with us? You know, in in reality, no, and I say that with respect, but no male, you know, hyper-masculine male, if I can use the word male, but mainly masculine, a human can build, not on the high street. You know, Etsy cannot be really, really viewed as a masculine business. You can't, you know. No, I don't think a man could have ever, or a masculine person could have ever written Harry Potter, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's the reality of humanity not respecting that this difference is so beautiful. Absolutely. So, so what, what advice would you give people today? I mean, you're going now to small businesses and saying, wear your sneakers. Don't, you know, don't yeah. believe in that bullshit. Right. Yeah, I've taken up a role which I'm blessed to have as a cheerleader 
and I'm leading with cheer and I'm trying to I'm yeah. trying to lead in a way where I'm being vulnerable and open and letting people know that this was my journey and I've now discovered myself again and I am exactly who I want to be and I am going to build magnificent things through who I am that that I want this for everybody else and that actually one of the things that I hope to do over the next 10, 20 years is cultivate a community where we see many more women building businesses. I mean, I think the shocking statistic is last year, out of every pound a VC invested, 99 pence went to male founders and one pence went to female founders. Now you think about the fact that just generally where our world would be, and that's a whole other subject with female leadership, but also if you just think about the money where the women are the CEOs of the household, they spend 80% of the disposable income. You know, the fact that Not in the High Street grew was because we as women leaders connected with that person who was making those decisions. And actually, that is where I'm trying to build a group that will lead by example in solving some of our issues in society or bringing joy to our spending because women think differently. We think empathetically. I'm not saying men don't, but I'm just on this point. The feminine, I'm talking, the the feminine, feminine side has got to be, uh, it's magnificent. It Absolutely. is in technicolor. I can't believe it's been untapped. And so actually, it's been, repressed. it's been repressed. And that, if I have a quest, is to make sure that it shines like it's never shone before. And that is one of the most, my, I, I, from an entrepreneurial point of view, that's where I start, my skin starts tingling as well. Because, you know, it's incredible that, that this hasn't happened already. And there is unbelievableness due to come. And so that in my world, in the small business world, where I believe all trends and all creativity starts, that is the quest that I'm leading. And so it is all, there's a lot of personal stuff that goes on though, to being that you have to become comfortable with who you are. You have to um, embrace everything about yourself. And that's very, very difficult in our society as well. You know, from the way that we look, the way that we feel people view us to the fact that everything is really, the odds are stacked against us in everything, money, anything, it's stacked against us. But as far as I'm concerned, and it is, um, it's not sort of, I'm not um, copping out here, I have 14,000 days left on this planet. So I can only do what I can do, but I'm now going to concentrate on that in every day. I think a lot of us can coast through and not make change, but I plan to make change, but I'm not going to change the world, but I am going to change it for a large group of people. And I think if we all had that attitude, especially women, and that we took each day very seriously to what we could do to make change. And I'm going to try and do that. I think it's going to be quite a bright future. I cannot tell you how much this last sentence inspires me, actually. You know, there is an interesting research. There are lots of interesting research around the cycles of our life. And it seems that one of the, of the things that we have to go through in life is 
set in time. You have to finish school and then work and then do this. And I mean, one of the very interesting TED Talks I watched once, it's an old one, maybe five, six years ago, is about this person that says, look, there is a retirement age and you're supposed to work really hard until the retirement age and then spend the rest of your life on holiday. When you really are not really enjoying the holidays, when all of your experience now is really much more valuable for the work that you do. Yes. And I don't want to retire at 65, he no. said. So he, he he basically started to say, maybe we can cut it differently. Maybe I can work for six years and then take a year off and then work for six years and then take a year off. And as I hear you talk about this, I realize that one of the things that's never been discussed is that the biological cycle of a woman and, you know, maternity and, and, and really, really the beautiful life-giving, life-nurturing abilities that a woman has may actually delay her earlier years a little bit. Something that I think society really needs to change about, but I'm not a dreamer, so I'm expecting that society will continue to pretend that they're changing it, right? But then there is that interesting bit when your son is now 18, when life has settled, and there is that beauty of, I know so much, and I know it as a woman, and I can dress the way I want, and I'm confident, and uh, you know, and, and I know myself, and I know what I can bring, and I'm gonna make that my target. That's so beautiful. That's probably yeah. very needed, and rarely existing, actually. That is, if I, if I think about my next 20 years, the 45-year-old woman and the next, tw- the next, let's say, 20 years of her life is my quest. Mm. I think she's heart ignored. She's invisible. And yet she's probably the most power sh- powerful that she's ever, ever been. And she doesn't realize it. Yeah. Or she does realize it, but no one's given her permission to use it. And that, along with building business... That makes me as excited. There is something about this that has it to be is. unleashed, Absolutely. unleashed, because I have never, ever met such a group of people than when you find a woman who might have gone through parenting, as you said, and has got to another stage. She's gone through her career and she's, and, uh, you know, whether there's a ladder or not a ladder, she's got to this place. And it's this point where you're making that decision. Is this the rest of my life? Do I actually want to do this? Potentially you're in a financial situation where you can make some changes or you can downsize or whatever those things are. And we are living longer. And actually that means that she's got as much time as in her early 20s when she was building her career, having her children. She's got that all again. I love now, imagine idea. if you said to someone, there needs to be almost a word created for this period of time because far from retiring. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than retiring. I just, why would you do that? Why would you, as you, I'm sure, you know, you've said so many times, you know, like, I mean, involve everything that you love right now. What are, what are you waiting for? But actually for the, uh, this woman, this this woman that I picture, she's got like 30 years. On What Wisdom. can she do with yeah. 30 years? And she knows everything more. She has all the war scars. She has every battle scar. She has every, you know, knowledge. She also knows she's going to become a better person during these years. She's got that wisdom. She knows she's going to change. 
but it's an amazing power that we haven't tapped into. I absolutely agree. And I don't think the number 45 is the number. I think I think it's the cycle. It's that, it you is the cycle. There, you know, if, if you've had your child early and now you're in a different stage, Correct. then jump in. If you're Correct. 38, it's it fine. It is a right? cycle. You're yeah. right. It's a stage. It's a stage. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I lived that with my wonderful ex, which, uh, you know, I always speak of her as the best woman I've ever known. When Ali left our world and Aya went to university, and Nibel had originally dedicated her life to the kids. You know, she's a computer scientist. She's very, very intelligent. But, you know, that little crumbly thing called Ali just enchanted all of us. It's like, we, or this guy is going to take all of the attention. Then Aya joined and, right, we split the attention between them. But then she decided that she was going to start and be a businesswoman. For the first time in her life, she must have been 45, interestingly extremely successful, magnificent business in a very difficult environment. She, she started a, um, a uh, fitness uh, business for women only, which turned out to be quite interesting, even for women that, you know, were very open in society in general. They just wanted to, to have that space to hide oh, when they're yeah. working out. And basically in Dubai, which is not a very small business friendly environment, especially if you're not from the local community. Mm -hmm. And yeah, incredibly successful. Still today, I think uh, Motion Fitness Center is 10 to 11 and, and she's surviving, she's thriving, she's giving an environment for women to get together. And I actually see it now and I understand it fully after what you said, that basically it's that phase ended and a new phase now starts and most women don't jump in Perhaps it is the best thing we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's um my North Star, I would yeah, say yeah. now. So so what 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 are the pitfalls? A woman wants to start today. I think we're both encouraging everyone to keep trying. What are the pitfalls? What are the, your top tips about starting a successful business? I think, you know, number one is um, nothing to do with business, but to do with self, because there is all these labels out there that we're sort of given. And I'm asked to speak on panels about the imposter syndrome. And I do believe it's there. Absolutely. And all of the, uh, all of it is real. Don't get me wrong. But actually the relationship you have with yourself. So things such as understanding your mortality, understanding your uh, space and whether you want to live with gratitude, understanding whether you want to um, build a business, for instance, that's going to pay for all of the holidays in your life, or do you want to have Necker Island? Like understanding mm. who you are. And it's why actually I do think that there is a ma magnificent opportunity for those who are at that new phase to start businesses, because I think those answers are quicker to come by than maybe when you're younger as well. Um, I think so. I think to get a grounding of who you are and what you want this to be. I think a lot of people jump into things without actually understanding the end. And so we don't. It's I like, love that. you yeah. know, they, it's like sliding doors. Yeah. Do I turn right or left? Once you turn right, you can never turn left ever. So if you go to get investment with VCs, yeah, you're not going to retire in your business. You need to understand that. So I think there's a lot of preparation that needs to be done within self before you start this. The next is definitely to find your passion, your passion. So yes, there are gaps in the market. Okay. And yes, there are things that can be done better. 
but that could be someone else's job. Just I because, love that you said that. Because <laughs> just because you see it does yes. not mean you need to do it. Yeah. Um, now, tell that to 30-year-old Holly, I would have wanted to do it. Um, <laughs> but actually, it's. Um, I, I, I speak to a lot of people, you know, one lady who's highly successful, and she saw that there was a need to teach students a certain thing. This wasn't her domain. She saw it and she thought she was going to go and do it. And actually, I, I tried to stop her and I think she did not pers- um, pursue it, which is that that wasn't her passion. Mm. That wasn't what made the business her. And I always think about this idea of having a diamond. And the quest is to find your diamond, actually who you are. For me, it's a small business cheerleader, Who would have thought that? I'm obsessed with what they make, their products, the people that they are, the creativity that they bring. That's me. That's going to be on my gravestone. So <laughs> I think that, you in, know... In, in more than 14,000. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's yes. hope. Yeah, let's yeah, hope. Yeah. So the idea is what's on your gravestone? What's your diamond? What will you be known about? And then the idea is to shine it, mine it, cultivate it, allow other people to see it. Because that is ultimately the USP. Mm. You know, there is a USP, of course, of your company and what you're creating and everything you're doing. But the true USP is you. And I think that that is what women can do. We can harness something quite magical, creative, soulful, empathetic, compassionate. We can bring good into the world. Holly and Co's just become a B Corp. One of my, you know, it's so inherently important that my company makes difference in the world, not just for shining a light on people, but that the capital behind our business does good. So I think that this just happens for women if they allow it to. So finding that diamond and being confident with your diamond is absolute paramount. And then I would say the last thing is something that I'm still doing, which is, Understanding that this is only about the journey, that everything oh, about Holly yes. and Co is only about the journey. And whereas my first business baby with the fact I turned right, gained capital the way that I did for that company, um, it was only really going to be about the destination there. And so what I'm very much looking forward to with Holly and Co and why it will always be founder owned is that this allows me to plot a journey that is full of adventure because this is it. This is all I've got and I'm not doing it again. And so um, I think that that's a highly important thing that we need to recognize. Today, recording this podcast with you, last night I said my blessings for this opportunity because actually this will be a moment in my career that I will look to as one of my highlights This is all about today and my and and the journey that I'm on, you know. And so I think that that's a really important thing. I think that business has been given why Holly and Co is about bringing color to gray, bringing color to the world of gray business. Yeah. Is that business is very gray? It's very perceived as gray. It's kept as a dark art. It's all these sorts of things. And so that is what I hope for women. I mean, you do realize it is actually quite feminine 
to have an endless journey. That idea of a destination, a target, the target orientation is a very masculine yes. quality. It's yes. like, I don't care how to get there, but we're going from here to here. Yes, right? yes. The, the feminine doesn't think that way. The feminine says, we're going to go and flow with life and we may go from here to here or a little bit differently there, but it's that journey that matters. It's that flow. It's the action orientation. I'm going to do things in, in a specific direction and, you know, and I don't really want to achieve a certain point where I exit and sell it and make the money. And then, you know, what do I do with the money? The masculine never thinks about that. It's like, do we really need that? We're, we're, you know, anyway. <laughs> I never thought of it like that, Mo, but it is true. Yeah, it is I mean, true. I, I, I have been doing a lot of deep thought about the differences and the gaps. When you talk about gaps in the market, I'm guilty. I, I went into the workspace myself. I'm, I'm literally dead center. Actually, I'm probably more feminine than masculine, especially today that I am, I empower that side of me. And yeah, I became the master of all the masculine qualities. I just mastered them. It was what is needed to succeed mm -hmm. in corporate, in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And so I became totally results oriented, cutthroat, aggressive, pushy, you know, analytical to IT, just dropped all of the beautiful qualities of intuition, creativity, playfulness, flow, empathy, all, you know, all of those other sides. And I've been really researching the problem with our world. And the problem with our world is this, is that we, mm -hmm. we don't let a woman shine. Yeah. We, we don't let the feminine, I don't ever want to use the word woman because there are feminine men I, yeah, I hosted, I, I hosted here, you know, quite a few actually, who will just, uh, will just change the way we perceive success. Mm -hmm. When you say I'm on a journey where I don't want to exit, that this is an infinite game, right? That's redefining success because success as defined by the masculine is when are you going to sell the company and make us all money? Yeah. Right? And that's really making us all very short term in a way. I think the other thing that I probably want to tell to men that because yeah, Holly's championing women entrepreneurs is empower the feminine. I'll tell you openly that we have so many gaps of skills in our businesses that only a, a true feminine being is capable of bringing in. And, you know, I love that I heard once, I heard you once say that not on the high street was an emotional place. Mm. Can you tell me a bit about that? So in, in, in the masculine world of business, emotions are yeah. not supposed to be there, not supposed to be felt. They don't exist almost as the scientific method, you know, would say, I can't measure them, so they're not there. But you built a place that was extremely successful and yet emotional. People would walk in and go like, hold on, hold on, this place is very emotional. We need to change this. Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with you people? Uh, absolutely. It was, um, it was basically someone, I remember someone saying to me, this business needs to become less emotional and you lead with emotion. Now this, at that point in time, remember I'm running to the loo with my 14 meetings a day. I'm trying to be more masculine every single day. Absolutely. And also it, it goes back to when girls are called bossy or emotional or, you know, oh, she's crying again, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it sort of would go back to some earlier memories that actually it was all highly emotional. And at certain points in time, because my 
C-suite was mostly men. Yeah. My investors were all men. Um, I was being told and I started to believe potentially that emotion needed to be left at the door. Only now do I, when I really look back, the entire building was emotional. Number one, it had 90% female employees when it was started. It mattered because everybody was working doubly hard for half the money. It was empowering small businesses like it never done before. You know, these businesses were on 1000% growth year on year. You know, these people were asking their grandparents to come and work in the garage to print the latest um, Christmas sack, you know, and they would be working all night, 24 hours a day. So the small businesses were highly emotional. We were emotional. And then we empowered our customers to express emotion. So this was a hotbed of emotion. And I had to wrestle with this because if I could go back now, my goodness, this would be the holy grail that Absolutely. we would be keeping. Whereas I was tucking it away. I was, I, it was a bit of a dirty secret at the time. Now I believe in what I talk about is emotional commerce is actually I don't think that anyone does it very well at all. One of my party tricks when I'm doing public speaking is I will ask the audience to tell me about the company, women, tell me about the company that you transact with and that you are emotionally connected to. Hmm. And I've asked this question for two years now, Mo, and I have had not one, not one company given as an example, who have cracked it. Now, that has led to me understanding again for Holly & Co. That is, that is my pursuit. Because actually, to have emotion involved in business, in commerce, in daily life, this is, you know, what is it, 30, I fear saying it in front of you because you're far better read than I am, but 35,000 decisions a day, 95% of them are emotional. And yet we are brought up to build businesses with the 5% rational that something's got to be, you know, about the delivery or the cost or the price or the, all these things. And so actually emotional commerce is my future. And with that 45-year-old woman in mind, how can we create businesses where I stay with you for 20, 30 years, I transact with you, you go through the journey of life with me, and I care deeply about this business? Can we love a business that we consume from, but love it, not like it, not think it's the coolest thing with not the newest trends? Not be satisfied trend? as consumers. No. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah. And that, for me, is a goal, I would say, for Holly Tucker. You'll be amazed. I mean, in my, in my later years in the corporate world, and most of my, I was a very successful business person. I, I sold deals that would never be sold. And I frequently got either my peers or my team asking, how did you do that? I mean, I, re I recall without mentioning names, a customer meeting where I spent literally two hours with the client, did not say a single word for the entire two hours. And in the last four minutes, I said, okay, so in favor of time, if maybe just to see where we stand, if I offered you A, B, and C with the conditions of X, Y, and Z, would you be interested? And they said, where do we sign? 
right? And it was a multi-billion dollar deal. And honestly, in my view, every business decision is emotional. Even those striped suit grim yeah. guys, you know, crossing their arms. Hmm? Yeah, their emotion might be ego. Their emotion might be fear. It might be envy of the other guy. And if you figure out the emotion, you figure out the deal. It's as simple yeah. as that, right? Now, the problem is we have so many negative emotions in business. Can we get the positive ones? Can I go to my favorite cafe? And that's absolutely true, by the way, for my top cafes around the world, is I go because I love the barista. I love that person. Like, and when they see me, they greet me. And they may never not remember my name, but they'll say, hey, where have you been? Like, yeah. why are you not yeah. coming, right? And it's, it's that beautiful connection that I think humans are missing out on in so many ways. I'm going to go into the dark side a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we all know, by the way, even though we don't know it at the time, I you know every business you start, you're eventually not gonna run it. Right. And that experience of something that you are sort of giving up on, you know, your baby that you started and then you give up on it. I'll say openly was the experience that killed my dad. And I, and I speak about this. We were recording yesterday for a membership site that I'm building with Alice, my co-author on the next book about stress. And the reality is that I actually was basically the reason why I'm such a fighter against unhappiness is because I realized that my dad, when something that he built all his life, a business that was becoming very successful, when he was asked to let it go, he was, you know, obsessing about that idea of they never appreciated me. And that stress basically led him to a heart attack. And I know that you went through that stage as well, when you left or had to leave, not on the high street, as a CEO. You call it grief. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. It's something that we don't speak a lot about. As, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, we made a decision because we had no choice in this decision. I have to also think back to that. We had to turn right. We had to gain funding. We were the third marketplace in the world. This is crazy stuff. If I'd ever thought that, we never would have done it. So we had turned right. And so there was going to be inevitability in the decisions that we had made. But there were circumstances that basically meant that my, my journey was going to be over running not on the high street. And I suppose you never quite understand how much of your identity you have lost to something until it's gone. Mm. Because what I realized um, after 24 hours is that I was no one, that I had given everything, that I had not had a second child. I love children. I think I would fill a house of children if I could, but I hadn't had a second child. I didn't have anything to fall back on. I didn't, what is a hobby? I didn't even know what the seasons were. I didn't, I didn't know nature. I, I, had, I had missed all of these things because I had been brought into this world of entrepreneurism. I'd never experienced it before. I'd been sucked up. I loved it. But I'd also been conditioned into becoming somebody that was, I think, a, a great female attribute is trying to make everybody happy. And, you know, it's something. But also, if you have investors, you're continuously trying to make somebody happy. 
you already have the imposter syndrome, so you have to prove that you can do this as much as a man could I do love this. How open you are about so, those things yeah, happening inside yeah, us. So yeah, so literally that is all I did was I was on a pursuit. And don't give me a pursuit because I will win it because that's what, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's what, what we do, is, right? Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. So on the other side, I was no one. I remember lying in my bed and Frank coming to me and I have never done this in my life. I just said, I'm not getting up. Leave me. I'm never getting up. And he'd never even witnessed me. I was hollow inside. I didn't understand my position in life anymore. And so at that point in time, I realized that, well, it took me actually a very long time. I had a few close people around me who bolstered me up on my bad days, but I I didn't know why I should exist really anymore. And so I was nothing. And I, I didn't have any worthiness. I didn't have a reason to speak. I couldn't be seen out in public, um, even though I was at the time needing to maybe keep up a facade, which was incredibly difficult when inside I can't act um, open. So it was a very, very difficult period of my life. I received counseling. I would say I probably broke down at that point. And then really over the years, it was the job of those around me and myself, but really those around me who said, you have had this experience for a reason. There is no one on the planet like yourself and you have got a reason. You have to do it again. You have to take everything you know and help people. And I, I, but what would I know? How would I know? I'm a complete failure, all these sort of things, but they basically pushed me to saying that I should have a voice. And slowly, like a phoenix from the ashes, I sort of rose. Step by step, I would open my mouth and I received love from others and I built myself back up. But that has been a seven-year journey to the lady you see here today. But it, it makes me emotional to think back to her because it was some of the darkest days of my life. Well, I love this, the lady that I see here today. I also love the one that was emotional, the the one that was broken. I think every one of us goes through this. I think we deny it, but everyone with passion gets to the point where they lose orientation. You just Mm -hmm. give it all, right? And then one day you lose it because it's impermanence is the reality of life, not just in entrepreneurship. And suddenly you go like, so who am I without what I wake up every morning to do? And and I think the way you said it, so beautiful, because I think the stages of handling this is almost like grief, really. But there is a space that needs to be given of, yeah, look, it's going to take me time to get up. So please allow me time to get up. But then I think what happens is for most of us who have seen this happen to our loved one or who have gone through it themselves, we realize that we always get up. You know, there is always a point where you go like, okay, 
tired of staying idle now. You know, there are other things bubbling inside me. And the truth is for every single one of us, we stand for something. And it's just the question of what you said, finding that thing that basically gets you to go like, okay, was fun that thing that I did a year yeah. ago, but what was it? You know, I'm so interested in what I'm doing now. I mean, this podcast is an example of that. Uh, we were talking before we started about how meticulous I am with setting the cameras myself and, you know, the audio and being the production beauty like type. I don't know what even the titles are. And I don't even know why I do it, but I just love this thing. I love it so much. And, you know, I'm, go I, I'm willing to give it so much of me and I have no idea that I, why I do it. And I never had any idea in my mind that this would be my life. And it's quite interesting that yeah. you speak about that openly and so beautifully in your so unconventional form of a book, do what you love, love what you do. If you were to give one tip about how people can overcome the fear or the depression or the, or the anxiety of not being who they are and just open to the idea of doing what they love and loving what they do, what would that be? I think it would go back to, it was when I found out I was 40 and I, I love efficiency and <laughs> I'm obsessed with efficiency. Do you really? Do yeah, you I really? do. I do. And organization and okay. things. And so I, I really wanted to know about my, my existence and how long I had left because it really comforted me to know then I can divide this all up and, and do what I need to do. And I've got some quests and things like that. And I think that that understanding that mortality and understanding that potentially tomorrow could be my last day. Can my family know that I was at the happiest that I've ever been? Yes, they can. And I tell them a lot. If I do go, you do know I'm really, really happy That's right now. That's such a beautiful practice. So that would be my advice because ultimately we are all going to leave this planet in different stages at different times. It doesn't make sense for me that you would then spend it unhappy. It doesn't make sense for me that the world wouldn't see your diamond. It doesn't, that doesn't compute and actually, I think that that's my obsession is I love finding people's diamonds and from a distance or near, helping them shine it themselves. And if I can do anything as well. So that is my tip, which is we are only here for a moment in time and that you are absolutely a diamond waiting to be discovered. And so what are you waiting for? And so that, that I suppose would be, and why my book was very special for me to write, do what you love, love what you do. I'm a dyslexic, been always told I couldn't write, was always told very, very fearful of the written word. And potentially that was one of the, it was during lockdown, some of the best moments of my, my existence was being able to actually write, but my heart was highly engaged. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I'm actually quite emotional when you said that because uh, everyone knows that the thing I love most in life is my daughter Aya and we had that code between us. Uh, actually I never had that with Ali but only with Aya uh, because Aya is truly a diamond like she is such a diamond so talented so different 
And we, I always played her uh, Pink Floyd's Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And, you know, it's, it was always the code between us that, that it's okay to be crazy, it's okay to be different, and that for every diamond, your real purpose, honestly, is to shine. Mm, wow. And so you remind me of that. You've engaged my emotions quite a few times today. You did not disappoint, my dear friend. Oh, very that, well. Gosh, you're um, you're someone that really there's few people that live in my heart, and I have to say you do live in my heart. And yeah, um, you in mine for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming all the way here. Thank you for giving me your wonderful time and your wonderful emotions and heart and your incredibly precious advice. I will openly say in front of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that I will support what you want to do. We want to enable that community to be themselves, to shine. We want women to take charge. Honestly, it is what will change our world. Not women. What did you call them? She man. We want the feminine to shine. I think that truly would make our world a lot better. It's been uh, repressed for ever really and i think it's time for it to come out thank you thank you mo thank, thank you. you and for all of you i hope you have enjoyed this i know you have enjoyed this as much as i did i i think this is one of those episodes that you need to share you need to tell others about the possibilities about what we can do if we were to empower our feminine side about what our feminine has to go through so unfairly in our world for them to succeed and be as big as Holly's amazing contributions have been. I also would ask you to really maybe sit in silence for a few minutes now to consider your, your feminine side, to consider what of you has not been fully expressed, what of you has been pushed away because society is telling you it's not supposed to be that way. But most importantly, find that passion, the diamond that you are and polish it and put it out there because I think we all need every single diamond for our world to have a bit more light in it. So do the stuff that you do on social media, subscribe and like and share and rate the podcast five stars, please. But tell people what you learned today. And I'm very grateful that you gave us this amount of your time. And uh, hopefully you won't regret that you've slowed down a little bit with us for this conversation, because you know what I believe. Uh, it doesn't matter how busy you are today. There's always a tiny bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.